Absolutely amazing how the songs that the choirs sing before the message are, are so appropriate. And I don't always know uh, what I'm going to be preaching on sometimes toward the end of the week, and I know that these songs are already planned. But listen, uh, listen to one of, one of the verses in How Great Thou Art before I read the passage of Scripture that I'm getting ready to read. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. Is that not an understatement? How can we grasp how much God loves us for sending his son? That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. Now listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And listen to the comparison that he makes about before turning to Christ and after turning to Christ. Listen to these verses. And again, just keep that focus in mind before and after. Before Christ and after Christ. Listen to this. And you he made alive when you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Again, notice the comparison. And and look at who Paul says that he was following, you and I are following before Christ, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among these we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind, and so we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, if it stopped there, mankind would be in a mess, correct? We're lost, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But listen to verse 4, but God... When Paul uses that, look out because he is getting ready to give one of the great revelations about the love and mercy of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And this next phrase, if you go back, by grace... You have been saved. Now, I want to point something out. In these ten verses, he's going to use that phrase twice, okay? By grace you have been saved, verse 6, and raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul is able to look into the future, I believe, and know our destination, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us, In Christ Jesus. And listen to verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Now I want to ask you to read those next six words, that next phrase with me. Okay? It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please pray and ask God to speak this morning to our hearts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
unless we yield to your Holy Spirit to guide us as we examine your word, not only Ephesians 2, but, Lord, other passages. If we're not listening to you, Father, but simply to the voice of a man standing at a pulpit, Lord, we're going to miss out on this great gift that you have for us in your Son. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will speak through me and that it will be you communicating to our hearts this day. Lord, we would especially lift up folks that have not yet received the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that this morning they would know that that is the beginning of the many gifts that you want to give to your children. Lord, take honor and glory for yourself in these moments. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. You know, one of my favorite memories of Christmas is being a parent with, with young, small children. And I can remember right after we moved to Roxborough and Rebecca was getting old enough to understand uh, about uh, Christmas and about getting things from Santa Claus the Sears Wish Book would come. You remember that Wish Book? I don't even guess they sent out a catalog anymore. But I can remember that as Rebecca got older and then as, as Sarah came along and she got old enough, that book would come in uh, sometime the latter part of October and literally within two weeks the pages would be so worn that it would almost come apart because they would go through it and and, and see what they wanted Santa Claus to bring them. I can remember the little worksheets that they would have. We told them that even though Santa Claus brought the gifts, we had to pay for them and that uh, there's going to be limited amount. But they would go back and forth figuring out how much they could get for the amount that we were willing to pay Santa Claus. Well, why did I say all of that? How many of us, especially children, have already made our gift list for Christmas? And if you hadn't made it by now, you're pretty well behind, aren't you? And how many of us have created a gift list for others whom we love and appreciate? And that list hopefully will express our love and appreciation for them. I'm telling you all that about the wish uh, book and the gift list because this past week as I prayed about what God would want me to share with you this Christmas season. And again, I've, I've told you this before. Christmas is a hard time to preach sermons because how many of us have heard the Christmas story over and over again? But God keeps convincing me that if you tell his story, he'll make it new and fresh every time. And as I prayed about the sermons, Ephesians 2.8 kept coming to me. And I kept saying, God, that's not about Christmas. But, oh, yes, it is. Would you go back to Ephesians 2, 8 one more time? I'm sorry, and I, want to, I appreciate the folks on the computer and the soundboard. Would you go back to that? Thank you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Folks, listen. Salvation is a gift. And, and as we're looking at Christmas... We need to consider the fact that the greatest gift that has ever been given to the world is the gift of God's Son. And let me read that verse out of the Amplified Bible, and this is not going to be on the overhead, but this is Ephesians 2.8 out of the Amplified Bible. For it is by free grace 
God's unmerited favor that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. And folks, I want to tell you the concept of the gifts that God has given unto you and me just began to unfold. I got a Bible concordance out to begin looking at the places that gifts of God or the gift of God is mentioned. So for the next two Sundays, and then surely we want to go to the, to the birth stories of, of Jesus, but I want to point out some gifts that God has given unto us. And it begins with the gift of his son. But let me, let me show you James 1.17. Have you and I considered the fact that God is the one who continually and constantly gives gifts to us? And folks, I want to try and present to you at least six of the many gifts that God gives to us. Listen to James 1.17. Now, I know in the context of these verses that James is talking to struggling Christians who have been exiled from their home because they've been faithfully following Christ. But listen to what James says. Every good endowment and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Let me read that in the Living Bible. But whatever is good and perfect comes to us from God, the creator of all light, and he shines forever without change in shadow. In this verse, James is encouraging the Christians to consider God's goodness and his gifts to us. And folks, I ask you in this Christmas season, would you and I consider God's goodness and mercy and grace and most especially his gifts to us? And folks, let me tell you why so often we don't recognize the gifts that God gives to us. One of Satan's tricks and tactics is to convince you and I that our Heavenly Father is holding out on us. (laughs) You remember as a kid, somebody would say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Well, folks, listen. Y'all are supposed to laugh because that was a saying we used all the time in South Carolina. But if you wanted to meditate on something strongly, folks, Satan is always trying to convince us that God's holding out on us. Let me give you some examples. When Satan approached Eve, he suggested that if God really loved her, that God would permit her to eat the forbid, eat of the forbidden tree. And folks, in our day, many feel that if God really loves me, there would be no restrictions on me as a Christian. And one example, the Ten Commandments. Another example, living a Christ-like life. When Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew 4, Satan knew that Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. So Satan raised this question. If your heavenly Father really loves you, why are you hungry? And in our day, we might say, if God truly loves us, why do bad things happen to God's people? And that's a valid question, isn't it? But folks, as we look at this verse closely, James presents four facts about the goodness and the gifts of God. And let me just mention these. 
Number one, God gives only good and perfect gifts. Now think about that for just a second. Because, folks, whatever God gives us is for our betterment, for our fulfillment in life. James is pointing out that everything good in the world comes to us from God. And if it doesn't come from God, if it comes from self or from man or even from Satan, it is not good. It is not for our betterment. It is not for our fulfillment. Y'all hang with me because there's some very important points that I think we're headed toward, okay? But if the gift comes from God, it is good. Even if we do not see the goodness in the gift right away. Let me give you two quick examples of that. It's hard to look at the cross where Jesus was crucified and say, is that good? And you and I can see how Jesus struggled with that as a man in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but thy will be done. But it was good because it is in the cross that you and I are given the gift of God's salvation and God's mercy. Another example is Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And Paul doesn't specifically identify what that thorn in the flesh was, but something was threatening him and his ministry. And Paul's goal was to serve Jesus Christ until either the Lord came back or he died in Christ. But as Paul sought the Lord about why he had allowed that to happen to him, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul began to understand that in his weakness, God was going to make him strong. So folks, everything that God gives to us is for our betterment and fulfillment. And the way God gives gifts to us is good. James says, every perfect gift is where? From above. Folks, can't you and I give gifts without love in our heart? Don't answer that out loud because people might question the gifts you give them for Christmas. But folks, sometimes don't we just give gifts because somebody else gave to us? And we got to do it? How many of you re-gift stuff? (laughs) Don't raise your hand. But folks, let me point something out. God never gives us anything that is not backed by His love. And what He gives and how He gives are for our good. It's out of love. A third thing I believe James is saying is that God gives gifts to us constantly. And look at this phrase. Look at the, look at the second full phrase. Coming down. From the Father of lights. Now, I took Greek in seminary, but I can't remember anything about it, but I can tell you what another commentator says. And that expression, coming down, is in the Greek a present participle, which means it keeps on coming down. When God gives gifts to us, He doesn't do it for one season of the year. He doesn't do it for a small portion of our life. That when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, God has got an abundance of gifts in heaven stored up for us. And, and I don't want to sound sarcastic here, 
But look where these gifts come uh, come from. Coming down from the Father of lights. Folks, these gifts aren't from Walmart or Hobby Lobby or Bass Pro Shops or Target or wherever you shop, but these gifts come from God Almighty in heaven. And He doesn't give to us occasionally. He gives to us faithfully and He gives to us constantly. And even when we do not see and recognize His gifts, He is sending them. And let me give you an example of that Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, and this, I don't have this verse on the, on the overhead, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Folks, Jesus died millennia ago, knowing that you and I would travel this earth and knowing that all of us would sin and fall short of the glory of God. But guess what? When Jesus died on the cross, it was a gift from heaven for you and me and from every generation. And there's a fourth thing that I believe that, that James is saying. God does not change. So throughout our life, throughout eternity, God will be giving gifts to us. That is beyond my ability to understand. And again, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. The Bible gives proof of this most especially through the Christmas story. Folks, the coming of Jesus to earth is God keeping His promise since Genesis 3 that He would send a Redeemer. Folks, that first 17 verses or so in the, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew where all those names are named, you know what that's all about? God promised a long time ago to a man named Abraham, that through his descendants, God would bless the earth. And he was speaking of Jesus Christ. God promised Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 that there would be one who would come and redeem them from sin. And folks, we need to just pause and think about this God who doesn't change and this God who is constantly giving to us. Please do not uh, limit God's giving to us to Christmas time. Because He gives to us at all times. And folks, I want you to pause and think about this for just a minute. God's gifts are greater than Satan's bargains. Because Satan never gives any gifts because we always end up paying dearly for them, don't we? Let's be honest. Listen to Proverbs 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. What does that mean? Well, folks, I believe he's speaking here not of monetary riches, but of spiritual riches. And folks, when we begin to receive the riches of, of our God, there's no sorrow to it. Matter of fact, I think that's why we're not rejoicing enough, because we're not letting all the blessings of God flow into our lives. I read Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10 this morning, but we're not going to look at that probably until next week. But I wanted you to know where these sermons originated from, okay? It just blew me away. The gift of God. His God's Son. His God's mercy. His God's salvation. But folks... I want to point out a list of some of the gifts God has given you, me, and the world. And I'll list six here this morning. And I ask you to 
think about it and meditate upon it. And I've written some scripture passages out beside these, and I'm not going to read all these. But here's a list of six gifts that I've found in the Word of God. And first and foremost is His Son. Would you not agree with that? Amen. That should be John 3.16, okay? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You've heard this verse so many times. But folks, God's still giving that gift. And some of us are yet to receive it. And I want to point something out. These other five gifts cannot be ours until we get the first gift, until we receive it. Do you understand that? That's, again, that was not a smart idea. Do you and I understand that until we receive Jesus as our personal Savior, then all these other things cannot be given to us because when we reject Christ, we reject these other five things. But first and foremost is the gift of His Son. John 3.16, Romans 8.32, and 2 Corinthians 9.15. Secondly, the gift of God's grace. We just read it. Ephesians 2.8, and also in Ephesians, if you'll go back, Ephesians 3.7 and 4.7, it speaks about God's grace as a gift. And one of the simplest definitions of grace is God's unmerited love. There's no reason why God should love any of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We spit in God's face, in essence, before we trusted Christ. But God loves us. It's His grace. A third gift is a gift of eternal life. I am going to... Romans 6.23. Many of you can quote that verse. You know, we always quote, call it the Romans road to salvation, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. There it is right there in black and white in the Bible, and I'd never really picked up on that. It is a free gift of God because of the grace He's extended to us in His Son. A fourth gift, the gift of righteousness. Folks, I tell you, I went in the concordance. Romans five fifteen through 17. And I'm going to repeat this again when we get to this passage of Scripture. And it might be January before we get there because, again, I want to set aside this Sunday and next Sunday to talk about these gifts and just get your juices flowing, okay? But when we stand before Christ, and, and it is going to be a time of judgment, and, if, and you say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought my sins were judged at the cross. They were. And that's why when we stand before God who is holy, we have the righteousness of Christ. He does not see our sin, but he sees the blood of Jesus cleansing us from our sins and making us right in his sight. And in Romans 5, verse 15, 16, and 17, in the Revised Standard Version, it is called the free gift. The free gift. It is free because of what Christ did for us on the cross. A fifth gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
You and I don't talk much about the Holy Spirit because we've got such a bad idea of what it means. If we become filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll become religious fanatics. Folks, if we become filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll become Christ-like. And if people got trouble with that, that's their problem, not ours, okay? And that is our calling, to become Christ-like, because when we were transformed into a believer, the whole goal then of our lives, lives is to be more like Jesus. The sixth gift, and this is a gift to the church, the gift of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul talks about how God has placed in his church these spiritual gifts for people. And folks, that includes you and me. And I hope you're not saying, well, that's just the preachers and the teachers and the deacons. Folks, anything we do to honor Jesus Christ is a result of his gift in us. But folks, listen to this again. We can't get these other five gifts until we get the first one straight. And the first one, again, it's the greatest gift of all to mankind. It is the Savior. Let me read John 3, 6, 16 through 21, and it's going, to be on the, it's going to be on the screen. I know you've heard these verses so many, many times before, but look at these. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you'll go ahead to the next one. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. You know these verses, but listen to this for just a few minutes, okay? And if you will, D, if you'll go back to verse 16, okay? And I just want to point some things out, and you can, you can see these very plainly because they're very clear in the Word of God. This is what John shares about Jesus. Because God loved you and me and the world so much, he gave his son. That's the greatest gift of all. You and I can replace the word world with our name, with our spouse's name, with our children's name, with our grandchildren's name. Folks, Jesus died for all. Why did God give his son to us? Verse 16, because he loved the world so much. And look in verse 17. God gave his son not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You've heard this before, I know. Why does John not give us the account of the Christmas story? Well, I believe that the Holy Spirit just gave that task to Matthew and Luke, but I believe that in these verses, John is summing up the coming of Jesus. Jesus came to save the world. And if you go back to Matthew 1.21, where Joseph is thinking about quietly divorcing Mary, an angel comes to him and says, She shall bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Jesus came to save us from our sin. Jesus came to give us eternal life. And again, back to verse 16, the end of that phrase says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus also came to take away condemnation for sinners. Look at verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. And folks, think about this for just a second. I love what Paul says in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know why we can be assured of our salvation? Because when Jesus came into our heart, condemnation was carried away. And that's a promise of the Word of God. Jesus came also to be light. Look at verse 19. And this is the judgment that light came into the world. Folks, you remember we've read this verse, I think, in recent Sundays in, in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Folks, Jesus came to illuminate the love of God. Jesus came to lead us out of darkness. And in verse 21 it says, But he who does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. And John here is trying to make a comparison. Because there are some who will not come to the light. And let me put this plainly. God loves mankind and sent his son, but mankind loves sin and rejects God's son. Listen to verse 19 again. You'll go back. Thank you. This is the judgment that the light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And then verse 20. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Folks, for years I didn't understand what John is saying. You see, if we come to Jesus, what is going to be exposed? We're going to be laid bare before the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, even as Christians sometimes, we don't want to get close to Jesus because He is light and He will show us where we are, even as Christians, are sinning against the Father and breaking our relationship with Him. And so, so often, you know, even as Christians, we want to get into heaven, we want to be spared hell, but we don't want our sins to be exposed on a day-to-day basis. And folks, when that begins to happen as a Christian, then we limit what God can do in us. We limit the gifts that He's going to be able to give to us. And if you're not a Christian today, you have the choice to receive the light of Christ or reject it. And folks, notice how the Gospels tell us about rejection or reception of the light. You see, Jesus is God's gift to us. But you and I have the authority to reject it or to receive it. The Bible is plain about what happens when we receive the gift of Christ. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God.
When we trust Christ as our Savior, we become a child of God. But what happens when we reject the gift of Jesus? Again, in John 3.18, John writes, He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And here's my point in all this today. The world's greatest Christmas gift can be either accepted are rejected. And folks, please realize, trusting Jesus as Savior is the first step in allowing all of God's gifts to become a reality in my life and in your life. Listen to Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him. Folks, God is blessing us on a day-to-day basis. Would you agree with that? What has God got stored up in heaven for us? What has God got stored up in the years to come as we yield to him? And folks, so often when we think we push God aside and we think, man, I'm really going to live my life and I'm going to be in control, and you know what we're saying? We're saying, no, God, you can't give me those gifts you want to give me. I'll pick and choose. And we literally hurt ourselves. How great, how great is the gift of God's Son? Well, listen to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 9.15. I'm going to be reading this out of the Living Bible. <laughs> this is one of those verses that you just got to absorb. Listen to this. Thank God for His Son, His gift, too wonderful for words. You know, that first Christmas story in the Gospels is such a beautiful story, isn't it? And you know, all of heaven breaks loose and prays that this event that God has planned before creation has become a reality. They know that God's got so much He wants to do for for mankind through His Son. Folks, do we realize how much God wants to do for you and me? In the beginning is to trust Christ as His Savior, as our Savior. And you know why we can trust Him as our Savior? Because of God's amazing grace. By grace, you have been saved. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the assurances of your word. That not only do you want us to want to give us your son for our salvation, but Lord, you've got so many more gifts for us. It's not gifts that can be measured by monetary value or for the pleasure it can give to us, but it is gifts, Lord, that fit us to know you and serve you and worship you and share you with others. And it's gifts, Lord, that begin in this life but will spend eternity with you. Father, our heart's desire this morning is that if there's someone here that's never received that first gift, the gift of your Son, that they'll receive him even today. They'll be saved through grace 
which is a gift. And Lord, I pray for we who are Christians. God, perhaps we've been putting our hand up and say, we don't want any more. We're satisfied with what we got. Lord, help us to see all the gifts that you want to give unto us as your children, as your church. And Father, help us to not only say, yes, give us more, but help us, Lord, to say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn this morning is number 104, Amazing Grace. Have you received his amazing grace? If not, would you come today and trust him as your Savior? Let us stand as we sing.